Welcome to this God-inspired message from Shofar Christian Church. Enjoy today's message. May you experience the presence of our Father and may you grow deeper in your relationship with Him. You don't know me, my name is Vian, I'm one of the pastors here. And before I say too much, let me just open for us in prayer and then we can jump in. Yes, Lord, thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice on the cross, Lord. And yes, Lord, as we examine our lives, Lord, in light of Scripture, Father, and just realize, Lord, that salvation, Father, yes, initially, Father, saved from the penalty, Father, of, of sin, Lord. Set free, Lord, from slavery. And adopted into your household, Lord. But yet still, Father, so many areas, Lord, in need of redemption, Father, we need, we need to apply the work of the cross into our lives. And tonight, Lord, may that be the same, Father, and we pray, Lord, that you'd give us grace, Lord, to apply, Father, the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. That none of us, Lord, may only look, but that all of us, Lord, may draw near, like I'll also share, Lord, draw near to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. And the truth is, Lord, that... Every single moment of every single day, Lord, we are in need of help from a gracious God, Lord, that lovingly provides. And thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here, Lord, teaching, guiding, and bringing revelation. Thank you for your goodness, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So our title for tonight is How to Endure in the Faith. How to Endure in the Faith. In the last while, we've been busy with Passover and last week, between Passover and the Promised Land, looking to what Jesus did for us on the cross and what we can learn from the examples of the Old Testament, like the book of Hebrews says in chapter 10, verse 1, that these things were a shadow of the reality, the substance pointing to Christ. And there's a lot of things that we can learn from the Old Testament stories and that can teach us why Jesus did and said what he did and said. And like we saw that, first sermon on Passover that the lamb has been slain God has provided his Passover lamb Jesus Christ and in light of that it's our responsibility just like the Israelites in the exodus to apply the finished work of Christ to our lives we need to go and take the blood of the lamb and apply it to our houses and just because the blood is on the outside of the house doesn't mean we can do what we want on the inside of the house there's still obedience needed that is what faith is now, if you had faith in me, and I tell you tonight that if you really want to be blessed in life, before you go home, you need to drive to Evander and back, and then go to your house. And if you really had faith in me, then you would do that. Amen? That is what faith looks like. So when we say we have faith in God, it means that we actively want to obey God. And last week, looking at the, what we can learn from the Exodus story, you know, we are now like the Israelites between Passover and the Promised Land. They are in the wilderness, like they were in the wilderness, we are in the wilderness, awaiting our promised land, to be with Christ in heaven for all eternity. And like we saw in Hebrews 10, and with the story of the Exodus, and the words of Jesus, that the one thing that should stand out for us is that we have need of endurance. We have need of endurance. That is what Hebrews 10 says, you have need of endurance. That is the people problem. We like to start stuff well, but we don't finish that well. We have need of endurance. The whole generation died out in the wilderness because they were disobedient to God and they could not enter the promised land. Only three of the original group entered. And Jesus says in light of the last days 
as lawlessness abounds and the love of many grows cold, you have need of endurance. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Many will be misled. Many will fall away. And in light of the temptation to fall away and in light of the temptation to be misled, God has provided a solution through the gospel. And that is the people sitting next to you tonight. The family of faith. That in light of lawlessness abounding and the love of many growing cold, we are called to stir one another to love and good works. To encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. And last week we looked at the beautiful significance of what we actually do when we come together as a church. The church was not God thinking, oh, well, I saved them now. I need to give them something to do on the weekends. Okay, let's let them gather together and sing songs. No, that was not the thought pattern. It's for our spiritual growth and endurance. There is no single Christian out there doing a single walk of faith that will grow in his faith or endure in his faith. It might seem that way, but it's being misled. It doesn't work that way. We need one another. The gifts that we have and the fruits that we have is for one another. And the statement that I want to make before we head into the sermon, and we'll explain that as we go through, to endure in faith, we need to form constant and consistent habits of the things that God has called us to, as individuals, but also as a community. And while that is what we should actively do, there's one thing that we should avoid at all cost, and that is self-deception that comes through self-justification. And we're going to look at very practical steps tonight to apply or very practical habits that we need to form in light of the gospel, which all of us are capable of. You know, none of them will be like, whoa, that one's going to be too difficult for me. I don't know if I'm able to do that. It's very simple things that God commands us to do in light of the gospel. Because Jesus did what he did, he says, let us. In light of the sacrifice of Christ, let us. So very simple for us to do that. And when it comes to the practical side of applying the word of God, there's something that we need to be aware of. The book of James chapter 1 verse 21 to 25, it says, Remove all wickedness and rampart filthiness and receive with meekness, with humility, the word of God that is able to save your souls. And do not only be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Because the one who hears and doesn't do deceives himself. Self-deception setting in when we don't do the word of God. And we're going to explain why that happens in just a moment. It says the person that hears the word of God and doesn't do it is like a person looking at his face in a mirror. And once he walks away, forget what he was like. Because whenever we are confronted with scripture, we see the things lacking in our lives. The intentions of our hearts. Obedience that still needs to happen. And when we are confronted with that, Something needs to happen. You see, if I make the following statement, I'm sure that all of us will agree with that tonight. That every single one of us sitting here tonight would say the following, that I am a Christian that has faith in God and wants to obey God. If you don't agree with that, come speak to me afterwards, please. I'd like, I really like to speak to you then and have a coffee and, and chat a little bit. But we would like to believe that about ourselves. That we believe in God, we have faith in God, and that we want to obey God. Now that is the self-perception that we have. Now what happens when a truth of scripture or something that we do in life contradicts that truth? What happens? We immediately get uncomfortable. That happens. We don't like that. Conviction sets in. And there's three ways we can respond. 
The first one is we can change our self-perception to say, okay, now I see this, so maybe I'm not someone that has faith in God and actively wants to follow God, so I'm going to continue deliberately not obeying God. And that is not the worst option. We'll get to the worst one now. Secondly, we can repent and align with the word of God. That's the best option. To say, Lord, I see this thing, Lord. Maybe it was something that you didn't know, or you've forgotten. Maybe you suppressed a little bit, and now you're reminded of that again. Whatever the case might be, but you're confronted with this thing. To repent and align. That's the best response. Then the worst response, number three, is to justify yourself. To give good reason why you actually don't have to do this, or while you're really good in other areas of your life, so this isn't really necessary. Self-deception, because we justify ourselves. And normally in the Christian community, we tend to do that in light of community, and we isolate ourselves, and the people that can see our deception are not around us anymore, because we isolate ourselves. Clever tactic of the enemy, to remove you from those who are there for your growth and your endurance. So in light of that, as we look at this practical things that we should form habits of in our lives, rather say to yourself, okay, I see I need to do this, but I'm deliberately not going to do this, but just don't justify yourself. That is dangerous. Because you forget what you truly are like. <clears throat> so let's read together and see what we can learn. Same passage as last week, Hebrews 10, but instead of this 19 to 39, only 19 to 25, the practical application in light of the gospel. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, all the more as you see the day drawing near. So there we see what Jesus did and what God calls us to do in light of that. So let's work through it verse for verse. Verse 19, speaking about what Jesus did, showing back to the shadow of the temple, not the high priest in those days that, that Jesus made away for us, saying, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, so now in light of that verse, the high priest in the Old Testament could enter the holiest of holies once a year on the Day of Atonement. And he used to enter with little bells around his waist and a rope around his waist. Because if he did the sacrifices wrong and entered into the presence of God, he would die immediately. And they would pull him out with a rope. And this is written to the Hebrews, people that understand Jewish custom and culture and what happened in the Old Testament. Saying because of Jesus, you can enter confidently. I mean, you can think to yourself as a high priest, entering into the holiest of holiest with that thought. You know, you saw four other guys being dragged out of there already. Now you have to enter. And the only one that should worry is the one that doesn't worry. Are you with me? The one that thinks, I've got this. Yeah, he didn't. They dragged him out as well. But because of Jesus, we can enter confidently, not like little step for step, but boldly enter because of the sacrifice of Christ. Not because how we offered the sacrifice, but because of the sacrifice offered by God. Perfect, spotless. And then verse 20, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh the curtain was the curtain that 
separated the holiest of holiest from the rest of the temple. And in the crucifixion account, when Jesus is crucified, the curtain tears from top to bottom. A way is made. We can enter into the presence of God. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, that is Jesus. Now in light of this, as we look at this and what Jesus did for us, I have to ask us a question before we go through the rest of the passage. Is your Christian life marked by an overwhelming sense of duty that is draining? Or is it marked by a joyful, happy happiness, thankfulness because of the privilege that we have? To do what we are called to do because Jesus is who he is. Answer that quickly for yourself where you are sitting. When you reflect on the things that God has called you to. When you think about intentional time in the word. Time in prayer. Time in community. Time in worship. Is it the duty that drains you? Or do you realize the privilege? And are filled with joy and happiness because of what Jesus did. You see, again, here we have to understand how the Jew would think about this as he, read, as he read this or as this was being read in church. You see, it says here in verse 22, the response, let us draw near. Because Jesus did what he did, let us draw near. With a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And in that first Line specifically, let us draw near. Whenever a Jew would hear that, he would think that they are drawing near to the temple because that is where the presence of God dwelt. That is where they drew near to worship God, at the temple. It's where they drew near to do sacrifices, at the temple. And now depending on where you lived, some people lived really far away. So when it, came, when it was time to draw near, they would actively pack their stuff and draw near. Go to Jerusalem, go to the temple. And the sad thing is, as they were drawing near, they could only go so close. They could come to the temple, but they couldn't enter the presence. They weren't able. It was limited to one guy once a year. Now there's the story in Exodus 33 from verse 7 to 11, where Moses pitches the tent of meeting, the tabernacle in the wilderness, outside of the camp. And as Moses goes to meet with God, the cloud of glory descends upon the tent and God meets with Moses and the whole nation of Israel stands at their tent doors and sees how one man experiences what they can't. Unable to draw near. Unable to experience. And they worshipped at their tent doors, thinking to themselves, how oh man, how, how that must feel. How that must be. And in light of that, imagine the Jew thinking to himself, year after year they, go, they went to the temple but they could never experience it. Now because of Christ, we can go in. I can now experience that myself. I can experience the presence of God myself. Man, what a privilege. What a joy. And without dying, that's benefit. Man, what a privilege. And you see, because we grow up this side of the crucifixion, we don't see it that way. We many times just assume that it's, you know, for granted. And we don't understand the privilege that we have coming together, lifting up our hands in worship. As God is present with us, there we two or three are gathered in my name, like we spoke about last week. There I am. And he's always with us, but especially with us when we come together. Otherwise, Jesus would not have said that. And like Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5 verse 4, when you assemble in the name of Jesus, the power of Jesus is there in a special way when we come together. 
Because we are the temple of God. And that is what this passage of scripture as well says. Now let us draw near. Jesus speaking to the woman at the well, telling her that in John 4, no longer on this mountain or in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. But those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. We are the temple. Yes, as individuals, but especially again when we come together. Where the presence of God dwells within us. So when we draw near, yes, we do it together corporately. Again, an image that we spoke about last week. When we come together, we are assembling as a kingdom of priests. Not a kingdom with priests, a kingdom of priests. To minister unto God. To minister unto one another. And then in the week to go and minister unto the world. That is what we are doing. That is what we are reminding ourselves of constantly. And it says they do this with a true heart. In full assurance of faith. A true heart. And we'll get to habit in a moment. But we have to ask ourselves. Are we in the habit of constantly drawing near to God. As a community and also as individuals. And are we doing so with a true heart. You see many times when we read this. We think to ourselves. Okay holy heart. Perfect heart. No it's not what it's saying. Says true heart. Your heart doesn't have to be 100% holy or 100% pure. We'll never reach that this side of eternity. But true. Oprach, soos wat die Afrikaans sal sê. A waarachtig hart. A true heart. To say God, this is my heart. And to be honest with you, I don't feel like drawing near. I don't feel like reading scripture. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like gathering. And this is the things I actually feel like doing. And I know I shouldn't, but I do. That is a true heart. You see, there's many things that we can change in our lives, but there's one thing we can't. We can change our mindset. We can intentionally think about something else. Anything you want to at this moment, you can think of that. You can actively put your mind to that. And yes, without intentionality, our mind drifts away to what we are accustomed to, what we habitually think of most. But we can shift it. We are able to do that. It takes a little bit of intentionality, but we can do that. We can change the direction of our hands, what we are busy with. We can form new habits, habits if we want to. We can start to do new things if we want to. We can change the direction of our feet. Start to walk in a different way. New way of life. But the one thing we can't change is our hearts. I mean, it would have been nice. And sometimes we do this, but we don't intentionally do it, but we do it quite often as people. We think we can. We decide. I'm going to love God now. Or I'm going to start reading my Bible tomorrow and I'm going to like it. I'm going to love prayer all of a sudden. You can't decide that. You can't change that. I mean, it would have been nice. As an introvert, that would make church a lot better if you could just decide that you like big groups all of a sudden. Man, love it. I'm just going to change that. Decide it right now. You can't do that. But God can. And what the scripture is saying, and it's important for us to stand this, understand this in light of what we're going to address now. Something that's quite radical to the culture that we live in. Quite different. And many times we won't feel like it. And that's okay. You know, many times people come and ask me, you know, if they don't feel like reading Bible or praying, if they don't feel like coming to church, should, shouldn't they? I mean, because they feel hypocritical now. Doing something that they shouldn't do. I say, well, you can try and wait until you spontaneously feel like doing it. <laughs> I don't recommend that. But do the right thing. Acknowledge your heart before God and ask him to change it. That is what we do. Instead of trying to show God that we now have what it takes, we're trying to convince ourselves that we are going to feel different all of a sudden. We can't do that. Draw near with a true heart. 
and say, God, this is how I'm feeling. And while I'm still doing the right things, while I'm still thinking about the right things and walking in the right direction, I pray that you come and change my heart as well. And to ask us, are you in the habit of doing that? Are you honest with yourself and with God? Constantly, habitually. When was the last time you just went and sat before God and told him, this is how I feel. This is the things that I'm busy with. This is the things I know I should do, but I don't want to do. And these are the things that I shouldn't do, but I am doing. And God knows. You know, you're not informing him and he's going to like, what? He doesn't know that. It's for our benefit to draw near with a true heart. Because God changes that. He can mold. He can change it. He says in Ezekiel 34, speaking about the new covenant that was going to come, salvation that's going to happen. He said, I will take out the heart of stone and I will give them a heart of flesh. I will change the heart. And I will pour out my spirit upon them and cause them to walk in my ways. God will do that. He is able to do that. But we need to bring our true hearts before God and also before one another. Amen. And habitually do that. And one thing that we should also form a habit of doing, and I think as Christians we do this the least, is verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And it speaks about all of the doctrines of Christianity and the gospel, but especially of the hope that we have that Jesus Christ is coming back and that we will be with him for eternity. The book of Second Peter says that place your hope fully in Christ. One Peter, fully in Christ and the hope that is going to be revealed when he comes back. That is our hope, that Jesus Christ is coming back. He's going to come and fetch us and that we will be with him for eternity. It speaks about a perspective that we have on life. And when was the last time that you went and actively sat down in light of what you're busy with and reminded yourself, hey, by the way, you're not supposed to live for here and now. The main goal of life is not to see how comfortable we can be here and now. We are going to a different place. It doesn't help I invest all of what I am and have here. If I'm not going to stay here, I'm going somewhere else. How often do we do that? How often do we think about that as we're making decisions in life? In light of eternity, how does this benefit me? For those who struggle with temptation, temptation only works in the realm of the temporal. Whenever you're faced with temptation, change your perspective. In Job 32, Job asks the question in verse 1 and 2. He says, I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully on another woman, verse 2, because what would be my inheritance from the Most High? In light of eternity, what will that benefit me? How's that going to help? And when you're faced with, eternity, with temptation, shift your mindset. Temptation only works in the realm of the temporal. But actively fix your mind on Christ and His second coming. When he will be coming back for us one day. Constantly do that. Form a habit of doing that. Because you see it says here in verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. And interesting here that the, the word habit there is ethos. It means custom or habit. Read it in Luke 4 verse 16 about Jesus. You know, When he entered Nazareth, he went to the synagogue as was his custom. Afrikaans gewoonte. Soos wat ons aan gewoonte is. Form gewoontes, habits, customs that we used to doing. And that word is used here in the negative sense. And we rarely think about habits in the negative sense. Yes, we sometimes think we have bad habits, but mostly when we think about habits or trying to form habits, 
We think only about it in the positive sense. And what the scripture is teaching us that every time you wake up and you don't read scripture, you are forming a habit of not reading. And again, just like our hearts, we cannot choose our habits. We can't choose them. Man, I would have loved if we were able to choose them. That would have been great. Choosing the habit of going to the gym every day. And then all of a sudden you wake up every day with this spontaneous urge to just go and lift weights and run around all day. Man, that would have been lovely. But that isn't how it works. You can't choose it. You don't choose a habit. You form a habit. And after you form the habit, that habit forms you. Every single choice that you make, every single decision, every single action, you are forming habit. And whether it's a good one that you're forming and a bad one that you're breaking down, or a bad one that you're forming, or a good one that you're breaking down, you are forming it nonetheless. You form them. And I don't know if we've realized this, but we'll look at that in just a moment when it comes to being present with people. We were taught, you know, forced to make a habit of isolating. And now we have to actively work against that to come together again and do so purposefully. Because we were forced to make that habit. You know, we couldn't decide that, okay, we're going to stay at our home now the whole time and not speak to people and I choose not to form a habit while I'm still going to do that. Can't do that. That's not how it works. But we need to form that habit. And not only do we form habits, but also we enforce the ideas that go with that habit. That's how self-justification works. If I know that exercise is bad for, uh, good for me and I don't go and exercise, I need to explain to myself why. Because I know it's good. And not only am I forming a habit of not exercising regularly, I'm also enforcing the idea that it's not actually that good. Or else I have to willfully acknowledge that I am a lazy person <laughs> that is actively doing something that's not good for me. And we don't do that. We justify ourselves regularly. And the problem with justification is it's unconscious. We don't do it consciously. The best example is you, you go for a work interview, you're confident that you're going to get the job because it's the best job in the world and you're obviously the best candidate in the world. And our social psychologists say that people, when asked about themselves, they have an above average expectation or, or perception of themselves. The average person thinks he's more morally good than the rest of the people, more smart, more creative. Now, in general, it's obviously you thinking definitely I'm going to get this job because I am the best candidate. All of a sudden, reality strikes. You don't get the job. And you're confronted with the fact that maybe you didn't make it or there was someone better than you. And instead of acknowledging that, what we tend to do is we tend to say, oh man, the guy that did the interview was a real idiot. And it's actually not that good a job. Very unconsciously. You don't say to yourself, wow, to make myself feel better, I'm going to tell myself a story. And I'm going to pretend that the guy doing the interview was a real idiot and that I actually wanted a different job. You know, when you buy that car that you shouldn't, man, it's very safe. We can like drive into seven trucks and the whole family will still be there. It's very economic, not at all. It's very expensive on fuel, dent in the budget, but safe, safe. And I can drive where I went to and, and load anything in it. And when I want to start farming, I have a bucket as well. Not that I'm thinking about that, but just maybe. We do that. We justify ourselves regularly. And in light of this and in light of forming the right habits constantly and in light of not justifying ourselves, this passage of scripture says what we can apply when we come together because this scripture is primarily focused on the 
community of the saints when we come together, considering how to stir one another to love and good works, us drawing near, us holding fast, we can also apply it to our individual spiritual life as well. And we're going to go through these four verses and see the four things that we can learn that we should constantly do, form habits of doing. The first one, verse 24, is preparation. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Let us consider. That word consider is kataneo in the Greek. It means to consider or contemplate. You know, there's a statue of a guy standing with his head on his hand. It's that same word, kataneo, the statue, the thinking man. To actively think, to prayerfully consider one another. To prepare. Does that define your spiritual life, preparation? Do you just rock up to church or do you actively pray and prepare? Saying, God, we're going somewhere. And I want you to do in me what you want to do in me tonight, but I also want you to do through me what you want to do through me tonight. Because I have a gift. And I have fruits in my life that's there for the benefit of others. Are we considering those around us? And like I said, this is countercultural. The culture is constantly teaching us to be individualistic in our thinking, not scripture. The one thing that should stand out about a Christian is his love for other people. By your love for one another, people will know that you are my disciples. That's what Jesus said. It should just stand out. And if we don't often consider other people in light of discipleship and evangelism, then we should consider our salvation. Hard statement, but the truth nonetheless. If God comes into our lives and works into our lives, we will start loving other people. That is the great commandment. Love God with everything in you and your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and prophets are fulfilled in these things, Jesus says. To draw near to God with a true heart and to consider those around you constantly. But to prepare. To prepare while we're doing this. What is the best place to prepare when we come together? Intercession. We're going to do it tomorrow night. Come together as a church and consider prayerfully. Lord, how can we stir one another to love and good works? What are you doing in our congregation? Before the service, we pray together. Preparing ourselves for what God is wanting to do. And the same is true for your individual spiritual growth as well. Your personal devotion. Preparation is necessary. You see, the, the thing that's so interesting to, to me that is that we plan most things in life, but rarely do we plan spiritual growth. Rarely do we plan our spiritual life. Prepare. Rarely. You know, specifically in, in, in being present, and we're going to look at that just now. But we plan everything else, you know, our holidays that we're going to go to, the work that we need to do, the birthdays, the anniversaries, the vacation days. But we don't set out our spiritual life. And in light of constantly coming together and forming a habit, sometimes we should realize when I look at my calendar and I see, okay, wow, six times, man, I can't afford that. That's not good for my spiritual growth, neither is it for my families. I'm forming the, the wrong habits. I should reconsider this. But prepare. When you wake up tomorrow morning or when you get home tonight and you read scripture, what are you going to read? Do you know where your divider is in your Bible at the moment? Do you know where it is? When last did you read? What did you read? Why did you read it? What are you praying about? What are you trusting God for? Is there any preparation in your individual prayer life? You see, the average Christian, according to statistics, is frustrated with spiritual growth. And it's for two reasons. The fact that we constantly look to ourselves while God calls us to look to others. Our growth is found in considering others. Our endurance is found in considering others. 
and also intentionality. We don't plan it. And then we wonder why we don't grow. But preparation is necessary. Prepare when you meet together. We are not just the church when we come together. You can think about us in the week as well. You're allowed to do that. Your small group as well. You're not just a small group when you meet together. You are called to constantly consider in prayer. Lord, how do I stir these people to love and good works? In light of everything around us falling apart, lawlessness increasing, the love of many growing cold. How do I stir them to love and good works? Prepare. Start at intercession. Secondly, presence. Verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. But be present. After you've considered, actually be present and plan to be present. Don't let something catch you off guard 10 minutes before the time or an hour before the time. Plan to be present. If people want to come over, they know that they're coming over for a small group. That's what we're going to be busy with. And not just because it's beneficial for me not to be misled and to endure in the faith, but beneficial for those around me that I'm called to love. You see, like Savon just shared, that there's a certain way of life that she thinks about. Being, you know, an emotional person, looking at the emotions of other people. Everyone doesn't work that way. Everybody doesn't think that way. And Timothy Keller says there's certain needs only you'll be able to see. There's certain needs only you'll be able to meet. There's certain hands that only you can hold. And there's certain people only you can reach. And even in light of being present, we shouldn't just think about ourselves, but about those that we're supposed to be present with. Amen. I'm called to do something here. I have a gift for someone else. I mean, it would be weird if I constantly preached for myself in the mirror. They won't think, wow, look at that spiritual guy. They send me to, to go get some help. Amen. Your gift is not for you. Your fruit is not for you. Have you ever seen a tree eat its own fruit? That's cannibalism. Don't do that. Your fruit that you bear in life is not for you. It's beneficial to you, but it's not for you. And the gifts that you have is not for you. It's for those around you. And your growth lies in focusing on others. It's not on receiving information. It's in actively discipling others, considering others. That's where we develop our gifts, where we start to discover our gifts and grow in faith. And not only be present, but participate when we are present. Second part of verse 25. But encouraging one another. Encouraging one another. The Greek word parakleo. Exhort, urge. Bemoedig mekaar aan. Implore one another. Exhort one another. Encourage one another. Now that you are here, encourage one another. You see, modern day Christianity is defined by entertainment. It lets me think about that one song, Let Me Entertain You. The church, the body of Christ, is not here for our entertainment. It's here for our spiritual growth and endurance in the faith. It's not to sit and look and see something. It's to actively participate and bring what we have. Amen. That is why you can sometimes look at two people, you know, and after a service, the one person is completely changed, and they experience the presence of God so tangibly, while the person next to them wondered, how long is this still going to take? One's participating. One's preparing. And if you don't always have time to prepare, at least participate. Amen? And how does that look like in our own personal devotion? participation obey the word of god when you are confronted with truths do what god says move 
Worship on your own. Pray on your own. Many times in church when these these silent moments in worship or when the band's just playing but there's no words on the screen, what do you do? Are you just waiting for someone to say something again or to do something? Or do you start to pray? Do you start to draw near? Are you asking God, Lord, what are you saying to me? What are you saying to us? Participate. Press in. That's what God is calling us to do. But here we need to shake off the consumer mentality. Shake off the individualistic mentality. Christianity is let us, let us consider. And while there's a lot of benefits for us, let's look for others. Amen. And then the last one, perspective. The last part of verse 25. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. All the more as you see the day drawing near. So as individuals, we should constantly remind ourselves of that, but also to those around us. And it's sometimes uncomfortable when someone comes to you and says, hey, buddy, in light of eternity, how's that going to help you? It's not comfortable always, but it's good and it's loving. We are need to do that with ourselves and with the people around us. But all the more, as we see the day drawing near, Jesus said, all the more lawlessness will increase. All the more the love of many will grow cold. And all the more we have need to encourage one another. All the more. You need more encouragement tomorrow than you did today. And more encouragement the day after that, and the day after that, and the day after that. You have need of more endurance tomorrow than you did today, and the day after that, and the day after that. All the more, as you see the day drawing near. And in light of this, and in light of these truths, don't justify yourself if God spoke to you about something tonight. Whether it's personal devotion or corporate worship, don't justify in light of these two things standing out, you know, love for God as we draw near and love for those around us. Story of the Good Samaritan. Many times think it's Jesus teaching us how to be, you know, good neighbors. But it starts with a man asking a question. Religious leader asking Jesus the question, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, how do you read it? And he says, love the Lord your God with everything in you and your neighbor as yourself. What did Jesus say? You are right. Go do this and you will live. And what did the man say? And the man wanting to justify himself said, who is my neighbor? In other words, you know, I love certain people, but should I really do it to everyone? And many times when it comes to gathering together corporately, we also have that mentality. With those hypocrites, those people that hurt me. And in the words of a Jew in Jesus' day, with those Samaritans, and Jesus says, yes, of those Samaritans. Go and love one another, stir one another to love and good works, but don't justify yourself. And what's the most popular justification we have in our day? Too busy. Too busy. Busy, busy, busy. Like we said, it almost sounds weird if someone doesn't say that to you. It's kind of like a, a thing that we, we like about our society. I saw the other day that there's actually burnout retreats. Like they encourage us now that you are eventually going to burn out and then you go and do this. Your annual burnout retreat. But when God calls us to do these things, he's not going to make you too busy to do them intentionally. Amen. But don't justify yourself. So I'm going to do something else or there's something else more important. God says, no, do this. Draw near to him. Keep perspective on the times that we are living in. Make good use of the time for the days of evil and be intentional in gathering together. 
And when it comes to being present, you know, actively making the habit of gathering together, what does that mean that we are not allowed to go away on Sundays? Obviously, you can't take vacation on Sunday if you're Christian. Just kidding. But here's an interesting thought, that there's other churches in other places as well. Huh? So when you go somewhere, look for a church there. And you might discover some weird and interesting people sometimes. It's also good. We can also always be used and use other people as an example, even if it's how not to do something. Amen? So we might ex experience some interesting things. But wherever we are, let's remind ourselves that we are the called out people of God to come out of the world, to worship Him, encourage one another, and minister to the world, wherever we are, making that habit constantly. We're going to take communion now. And I want to encourage us, as we sit as individuals, you can maybe gather together as a family or just as an individual if you are here alone. And what I want us to do, and specifically if you as a family, maybe as a father, in light of the saying that I'm going to take the lead in this, I'm going to set the example in this. I'm in charge of the planning. I'm in charge of the leading of the family. And I'm going to lead by example. And I'm intentionally going to make a habit of doing the things that God calls us to do. And I will not allow us to justify ourselves. And I will lead the example by not justifying myself. Amen. And as we taste that bread, the broken body of Christ. And as we taste that juice, the blood of Jesus flown. We say to God, Lord, in light of what you've done, we are saying we will. You said in scripture, Lord, let us. And we are saying tonight that we will. We will draw near. We will hold fast and we will consider how to stir one another to love and good works. And we will do it all the more as we see the day drawing near, as we are waiting for you to come back, Lord. But we will not neglect such a great salvation. We are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. We are those who press on and endure and persevere in the faith. Amen. We will press on. So just there we are. If you've received the elements, just by yourself, turn to one another as an individual. Saying, Lord, I receive and in light of the gospel, of the privilege, Lord, of what you're asking us to do. I'm saying, Lord, I will. I will. Just there we are. Take a couple of minutes.